Welcome to the Alaska Journey Podcast. My name is Jamin Gerker, and I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help you build an intentional and significant legacy for yourself and your family by coaching you in real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to answer the questions that those of you are asking who are thinking about moving to Alaska, and also showing you the authentic Alaska from those who actually do live here. Now, this week, we are very lucky to have actually a captain of a uh, commercial fishing operation. He has been involved in commercial fishing since the uh, the ripe old age of five years old. Um, really, he's um, done everything from uh, fishing for salmon, herring, anything you can possibly imagine, really, from Bristol Bay all the way to Kodiak. And additionally, he's had his pilot's license since he was 19 years old and has really just gone and done just about anything you can imagine as far as the uh, the Alaska dream goes. So without further ado, please sell, say hello to Captain Joseph Google. Hey, thank you, Jamin. I really appreciate it. And I uh, I want to meet this guy you just uh, gave an intro to. Intro to. <laughs> so humble, so humble. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's been an interesting life. It's been a lot of experience, and um, I'm excited to get to share a little bit about what that is with you. All right, well, good deal. Well, let's let's go and just jump into this then. So, I guess you know we kind of mentioned before that you've you've really kind of been involved with commercial fishing since you know five years old. Can you kind of describe how? I'm assuming your family was in commercial fishing before that. I doubt they uh, hired a five year old. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, not really easy to get a job on a boat as a five-year-old. Um, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually third generation commercial fisherman here in Alaska. Um, my, my grandfather came, uh, to the United States with his, with his parents, um, ended up in, in, on Uzinki Island out in Kodiak where my dad was born and my dad grew up there in on Uzinki Island right off of Kodiak. And, and then again in Kodiak, um, he is, he's been a commercial fisherman now for 66 years. Um, and I, and I just got started in it at a young age, you know, it was something that we did. One of the things you learn is as you really dive into commercial fishing is that it's not really a job. It's more of a lifestyle than it is anything else. Um, it's, it can be very tough to do commercial fishing and other jobs. Um, you know, I see that impact in my real estate career, um, just because of the time you have to spend and, and the kind of the toll that it takes on you when you fish. But, um, yeah, I just, I got started as a young kid and I, boy, it's been, it's just been a litany of, of, uh, adventures and experiences through that process. Man, I I can only imagine. So can you I guess kind of walk me through this like the the first time like you're you're 5 years old, you're young. Um do you think it's you're jumping onto the boat here working with um working with all the adults is it in the back of your mind like is is this just normal or do 5-year-olds jump on boats all the time or um it's going through your head? You know, in, in that industry, it's actually pretty normal to have your, you know, for, for guys to have their kids come out or for families to have their kids come out. My sister and my brother-in-law, um, they, had, they had both of their kids on there since since they were infants, like two weeks old, month and a half old, right? I mean, 
So it, it's not uncommon. I mean, in my world, when I was growing up, I, I just remember from a very young age, I remember my dad, he would leave in the spring and he would come back in the fall. And sometimes we'd see him a couple of times between spring, you know, like April and the end of September. Um, so it was just, a, it was a normal thing that dad would go. And then it was really exciting. I got to go with dad, you know, and then we, you know, he'd end up on the boat and I don't know. It's, it almost started for me at such a young age that I don't really have, I have more memories of fishing than I do of not fishing. Right. I mean, my memories of him being gone um, when I was a young kid or, or, you know, it not being the normal thing for me to go with him are, are fairly foggy, you know, cause I've, I've been doing it for so long. Gotcha, man. That's, you know, that's, that's awesome. It sounds very similar to kind of the discussions I've had with um, discussions I've had with farmers and how they say, Hey, it is all about the family being able to just pull together, work together and mm-hmm. get along as we're, we're kind of pulling these long shifts and all kind of working towards the, the same goal. Is that pretty close to, I guess, the dynamics you guys have when you're out there working on a boat as a family? Yeah. No, that's, I think that's really, really a good, you know, a good explanation of it. Um, you know, I had five older sisters and we would, you know, there was oftentimes two or three of us kids out there at a time. You know, I have a younger brother, my brother and I have oodles of memories out there together, you know, whether it's collecting boxes or buckets, five gallon buckets full of rocks and we could use our wrist rockets and shoot rocks at seagulls or, you know, um, cutting up kelp kelp heads into dolls or scouring beaches for whatever garbage washed up on them. Or, you know, my brother nearly burned a whole Island down one time because we were playing with fire on the beach, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, it's that whole, just, we do it as a family, right? It's a lifestyle. It's, it's what we do. It's the only thing my dad ever did for income in his life. And so we were, we were just naturally part of that. Good deal. So is this uh, is this then like the commercial fishing? Then I'm. It kind of sounds like this is something you kind of knew was going to be a part of your life. Really, just kind of going in the foreseeable future. Is that um, kind of how you saw it when you were younger? You know, that's a that's a good that's a good question, Jamin. Um, I have had some. It has been a love hate relationship. Um, you know. It, I don't know that I've ever had a time in my life where I was like, you know what? Or somebody came to me and said, Hey, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I was like, I'm going to be a commercial fisherman. I don't think I ever had that moment. Um, I learned, you know, I learned to be good at it because that's what we were doing. Um, and there was definitely some points when I started getting into real estate, I actually told my dad at that point, I had an opportunity to buy his fishing operation. I was like, you know what, dad, why don't you sell it? I'm going to go all out in real estate. Right. Um, and then I, because it had been such a big part of my life, you know, 25 years of my life at that point, you reach that kind of middle of winter, early spring, and you're like, oh, you start getting the itch. Right. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go back out, you know, and you kind of having that moment of where you sit back and you think, okay, what's life like without this? You know, what's, what's life like? Because when you go fish, it's a disconnect right? You don't up until the last, Oh, what would it be? Probably about 13, 14 years ago, 
um, maybe 15 years ago is when we started to get like reliable satellite service, right? So prior to that, when we go fishing, the only thing we had was a single sideband radio to, to communicate with the outside world. You know, so when you go out fishing, you're not spending money. So you're not worrying about your finances besides making it, you know, besides making money. Right. Um, and you're not like, you're not really communicating with the outside world. So there's like this strange disconnect that you kind of resets your, your year. It kind of reset. It's a reset yearly thing that you just kind of disappear and you think, don't worry about a lot of the wor worries of the world. And you come, you know, you go out and fish. And so you start missing that as the worries of the world build up over the winter. Right. Um, so to say, you know, sorry, to, there's a lot of words to answer your question of, I, I don't think I ever was like, not until the last couple of years that I really realized, man, I, I love this. I love what I do out here. And I, and I, now I really want to see more than anything. I want to see this be an opportunity for my kids because of what I learned, what I gained, what I, the way I grew the work ethic that I learned from my experience growing up in the industry. Man, sounds like that was, um, sounds like that's a lot of, sounds like it's, um, it's a lot of, uh, really appealing stuff that would really make you want to go out there and and fish honestly because it it sounds pretty similar to i guess the the thought process behind i've um, interviewed people who run the Iditarod or um, you've run it on foot where they're literally out there in the wilderness just themselves a 50 pound sled and they're two feet and that's that's it and um, mm -hmm. that's really a lot of the same appeal for them too as it's like hey i don't have to worry about anything else going on all i have to worry about is you know this very menial basic task just repeat this over and over and over and it's it's very cathartic and and therapeutic for them <laughs> it, it's actually yeah it's really become that for me you know i it's kind of funny to say that i would go on vacation and go commercial fishing but that's that's kind of what it's become for me um you know this learning this industry in real estate and, and working with clients and it's very, very good. And you learn a lot and it's a lot, <laughs> you know, it's, there's, there's a lot to that. Um, so to be able to get, you know, get out and away and disconnect, you know, and be me driving, you know, I, I drive the boat, I got a good crew and, and it's, 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 you know, put your gear in the water, fish your gear, catch fish, put it on board, deliver it. And that's it. You know, sleep when you can and continue. It's just super nice. Oh, outstanding. So you kind of mentioned this before, um, and uh, obviously we were going to touch on this. What are some of your, your best memories you can remember of, of commercial fishing? Oh, boy. Um, that is a really good question. I think probably one of the first one that comes to mind when I was six um we actually caught a baby grizzly bear we literally <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we, we all commercial fishing yeah yeah what? well not we didn't we didn't catch it in our net we were cruising <laughs> down the beach we were traveling from point a to point b and we saw this little brown something running down the beach and my dad thought it must be an otter or something and you know of course he's got a six-year-old son so he's like joseph look over here and we got in closer to the beach and sure enough, it's a, it's a little grizzly cub and it is making tracks. I mean, it is, we're talking, it's run a mile and a half 
right? Mile and a half verging on two. And we're like, there's, there's no sow around here. So we got the harebrained idea. Let's, uh, let's go to the beach and catch it, you know? And uh, because why not? <laughs> because why not? Um, and so we did. And, um, you know, I was, I was six. I would, I didn't do much in the helping of the catching. Right. Um, and we called fishing game and they're like, well, you're not supposed to do that. And, uh, you should put it back on the beach and just do that. You know, and I cried, like I cried and cried and cried. I thought I was going to get to keep a baby grizzly bear. (laughs) I was so thrilled. I was going to keep a baby, you know, grizzly bear cub, but yeah, I actually got to touch it at one point when we were feeding it. So that was, that was one of the good ones. Uh, let's think of something really a little bit more recent. I mean, there's been, there's been good memories in, in the good times and the bad. Um, you know, I've, I've had every memory from, you know, one of the times we were fishing in really, really rough weather, I got flipped over, um, in our power skiff and went in the water and power skiff, power skiff got swamped. And, you know, that's one of those things you look back and that was helped me grow. Um, so you know, we've had, I, I guess, um, let's, so for a power skiff, is that like, um, is that like a smaller boat i guess kind of give me scale here so okay it doesn't sound good one way or the other (laughs) (laughs) so to put that in perspective that story um you know that story you know we were fishing um off of killikak which is on the mainland to uh to the west of kodiak island off the west side of kodiak island and our our main boat our saner is 58 feet long that's the maximum length you can have so it's 58 feet long 16 feet wide and you use what's called a purse seine, um, which is a quarter mile long. It's got uh, uh, styrofoam floats. We call them corks because back in the day they were actually cork. But uh, you know, back when my dad was eight years old and rowing a skiff, they were corks, right? But um, <laughs> styrofoam floats along the top, lead lead line along the bottom, and uh, a purse line to. So when you, when you make a circle, right, you got a skiff on one end, that's about 22 feet long with, I mean, nowadays they're getting up to 700 horsepower in them, right? But, you know, 300 to 700 horsepower. And what you do is you control that whole quarter mile long same with your, with your 58 footer on one end and your 22 footer on the other end. And you hold it out, you let the fish kind of build up against it. Then you circle them up and then you draw in the bottom like a drawstring on a purse. And that's where it gets the name purse saining. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we were fishing in probably 12 to 15 foot seas and, uh, we ended up with a a rogue wave every now and then in the right tide conditions with the wind going the right way, you get waves tend to stack up. And, um, I had a, had a wave literally push the boat backwards and upside down. I mean, it just drove it back into the water. It was Mm -hmm. steep enough that a, that a power skiff that pulls at, 66 6800 pounds foot pounds of pull right literally just slid backwards down the face of a wave and, and so, then i got flipped over so yeah that's oof. the ocean, stuff, the ocean sure is, is going through your mind when that happens oh yeah oh yeah uh, the ocean is is absolutely and utterly unforgiving and it has absolutely no remorse right um you know that was an interesting experience from a different side in the fact that you know, I, this was one of the points in my fishing career where I didn't want to fish. I didn't want to be out there. I had a girlfriend at home. I wanted to be home. 
Um, it was the end of the season. I was tired and exhausted. And I had told my dad, uh, you know, he was having, I was having a bad attitude really, you know? And, uh, and I told him, I said, I, I don't think we should make this set. And in all honesty, we shouldn't have, you know, that was the, I was being real straightforward and really honest um, at that point, but my bad attitude had put a bad taste in his mouth. And he looked at me and he said, son, power skiff can handle it. Same can handle it. The boat can handle it. The only thing, the only thing that's holding us back is your fear. The whole crew's there. And I'm like 17 years old. And, at that point, uh, you, you gotta know, go. Like <laughs> right at that point, you gotta go. You know, and and uh, you know, so that was an interesting experience for my dad and I because, you know, um, I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot about how you know the way that we present ourselves and, and what our attitude is can really affect how people approach us. You know, and that cost that cost us. That cost us some fishing time. It nearly cost me my life. I was actually stuck underneath the power skiff. Took me a bit to get out. Um, I didn't come out from underneath it for about two or three minutes. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting, interesting times. Wow. So, I mean, I'm assuming, I mean, some kind of life jacket, are you just kind of bopping yeah, around yeah. like that's, that's huge waves that are, when you say like, was it 15, um, 12, about, yeah, somewhere in that 12 to 15 foot, I'm wearing a full Mustang suit, right? It's a full, it's just the side of a survival suit. It just doesn't have the attached boots and hands. Um, but it's an insulated float float suit. Got it. Okay. Um, but where where I had a problem was um, one of the, our our tow line for the power skiff got snagged on the underside of the skiff, and so when I dove out from underneath, because I when it flipped over, I went I went underneath it, um, and when I dove out from underneath, I actually got caught up in that tow line. I was pinned to the side of the boat with just my basically just my nose and my lips above the water you know in rough weather holding onto the side of the boat trying to crawl my way up um you know so it's yeah it, it, it's a it's fascinating what goes on out there right man so i guess at that point is there like a flare you shoot off or i mean you say a quarter mile well, away um do they do they kind of just see where you're at and they just make a beeline for where you're you're at at that point no at that at that point we had closed up our gear and i was attached to our i was attached to our main boat by a tow line that was probably 200 feet long right so i'm i'm pretty close they're watching like they're seeing this happen you know my sister started <laughs> stripping off rain gear and she was gonna dive in and come after me and, and uh you know my dad's trying to figure out how to how to move the main boat so that he can tow on the tow line and try and flip the skiff back over i mean they they saw it happen um because they could you know the way i'm towing i'm not even facing the bow of my skiff right, right. i'm facing i'm facing the stern because i'm towing on the main boat so i'm literally like you know i'm standing backwards in the boat so i'm not seeing i'm trying to keep the bow of my boat into the seas and i could you know i could barely see this wave coming um just from the standpoint i had to look over my shoulder so anyways right. it's a you know that's a it's it's fascinating how some of the things that can be scary are some of the the ones that that you also find yourself learning the most from in in these situations. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, just hearing you talk about it, that is, um, I'm sure, pretty sure it's uh, trademarked by Jocko Willink, but that's an extreme amount of uh, ownership there to be able to say, hey, you know, my attitude, if had had been different, I probably could have had more influence at that moment, probably wouldn't have even done it. Um, what are some other 
I guess, qualities or, or lessons you've learned from commercial fishing? Oh man. Um, well, you know, that, that's a, another good question. Attitude is probably the biggest thing. Um, you know, hard work, you learn, you learn to work hard. Um, because you really don't get any other choice. Um, perseverance is a big, big, big one, right? Um, keeping your eye on, on the goal. There's, I'll, I'll always come back to attitude because when you're stuck on a 58 foot boat or a 32 foot boat with four other guys and you, you guys are going to exist in the inside of each other's bubbles for the next, you know, for the, whether it's six weeks or, or it's, five five months you know which we've done five six months you know with the same crew um you know keeping your attitude in shape and and you know looking out for your looking out for your buddies looking out for your guys that are out there with you and keeping your perspective on you know we're here for a time um you know this is this is pain for a time and then it's going to end right that's that's something that that I think is really important is, is, you know, we're going to sacrifice and you see it really poignantly in, in fishing because, um, you know, there's an end of the season, the fish stop running eventually, <laughs> eventually they're just no longer coming back. And, um, and so you kind of have this idea of, well, I'm going to go all out, you know, I'm going to forego the really nice long, hot showers and the being in clean clothes and the, getting a lot of sleep. I'm going to forego that for a time because I know what's, what's coming at the end, right? I'm, I'm going to make a paycheck. I'm, I'm doing this for a reason. And so, you know, you learn a lot about perspective um, and you learn a lot about how to communicate with other people when you're, when you're that tight in with each other. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, at that point you pretty much have no choice. Uh. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's figure it out. It's figure it out. Our life is going to be miserable for you. Yeah. I mean, are there instances where somebody, for whatever reason, somebody got on the crew, wasn't a good fit, get out there and everyone just realizes, yeah, this, uh, um, this dudes or this gal is not a good fit and they just have to, is it, does it ever get so bad where you just have to like drop somebody off somewhere or like, what's the, what's the protocol there? Yep. No, that's, that's a, that's a part of it for sure. Um, yeah, you, it's not uncommon for crew, you know, for a crewman to give up and quit. And it's not uncommon for a skipper to, to basically say, Hey, look, you're getting off at the next tender, right? The next time we hit the beach, you're done. I don't, you know, and it's, it's, it's a tricky thing as a skipper, you know, to pick out, to pick out the people who are going to be resilient, who are going to be tenacious, who are going to have an attitude that's going to stick in there all the way to the end. Yeah, and see, that's always um, always a fascinating, I guess, debate to me is kind of being able to look at someone and go, okay, that person's probably going to cut it. This one's probably not. Um, I actually do listen to a number of people, I guess, talking about going through buds with the, the Navy SEALs, and they've, um, I mean, they've just said, hey, I got no idea mm-hmm. if that person's going to cut it or not. Um, I've seen people who are absolute physical studs who, um, who essentially quit. And I've had other people who had no business being there that passed with flying colors. So it's, um, 
really kind of tough to tell, but yeah, that's taking it up a whole new, whole new level of um, intensity when it's so much of your, so much of your financial future and the business is kind of dependent on making a couple of good decisions on the people that are going to be on the boat. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it really is a big test of who you are as a, as a leader as well. You know, um, the, the skipper, the captain can, in a lot of ways can be far more destructive than a crew with a bad attitude. Right. Um, in the way that you treat your crew and the way that you, you know, you can, a skipper can absolutely demoralize their crew in a short period of time. That's actually a really good point too. I feel like we could, uh, we turn this into a leadership podcast. <laughs> we, honestly, we, could, so. we could go into a lot, a lot of different routes in this one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put a pin in that and, and come back okay. to it later. <laughs> Pin place. place. Well, this will be another podcast for another time. This will be another podcast. Um, what are some of your worst memories that you can think of of, of working in commercial fishing? Mm. Oh man, the the countless, you know, the countless hours of you know, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, it's pitch black, it's pouring rain. You know, you've been up for, you know, sometimes you're up 34, 35, 40. I mean, we've done, I think the longest I've ever gone was rounding on 72 hours um, awake and you're damp, right? Nothing's dry. <laughs> your your hands are wet. Your your clothes you're wearing are, are, are damp. Um, you know, it's cold. It's you know, it's not freezing, but it's cold. It's in the low forties sometimes. And, you know, those are the things, those are the times where it's hard, where I struggle with it. Um, you know, from a skipper standpoint, I had one season where, you know, I just, we just didn't get it. The poundage just wasn't there and it's over, you know, and you're sitting there at the end of the season and you're, you're still just as exhausted. Right. Just because you didn't, just because you didn't catch the fish doesn't mean you're not tired, you know, and the reality sinks in and you've got 67,000 pounds on a season and you know that it's not going to pay the bills, you know. But it's very much like a all commission based job where you're going to put in right. the work one way or the other. You're just not sure if it's going to pan out. <laughs> high risk, high right. reward. <laughs> Right. Bristol Bay is really, really like that because um, you get to the end of the season before you finally know what you're going to get paid per pound. Oh, man, that is so much uncertainty. <laughs> right. right. I mean, you have literally you have literally handed over all your product before you know what you're getting paid for it. Oh, it's, it's brutal. Oh. It's brutal. Yeah. That's... Okay. Yeah, man, that, uh, that would be pretty tough making plans based off of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's keep moving here then. So I guess looking at all of, you know, all of that, you still decided to, you know, to continue doing it and, you know, to be working as a, as a skipper yourself, um, on a couple of different, you know, a couple of different ships at this point. So mm -hmm. what is it that I guess kind of brought you back to, to doing it yourself now um it's a couple different things one it's 
as I've matured, as I've, as I've grown up, I've realized the potential, right? Um, one thing that stuck with me really, really, really hard over the years is my brother-in-law came to me once and said, Joseph, you've got a doctorate in commercial fishing. Why would you, why would you give that up to go do something else? Right. Um, so part of it, I think part of what I, I'm big on analogy. So I'm going to use an analogy here. If you don't mind, knock yourself um, out. <laughs> it's kind of like, in some ways it's kind of been like an arranged marriage, right? Um, this path wasn't, wasn't really, I didn't really pick it. It was kind of picked for me, right? It was part of what we did as a family. This was part of how I spent time with my dad. And there was definitely some points where I was wondering why the heck am I here? And, and I don't really want to do this. Right. Um, but what I've learned is that, you know, over the years I've learned the good things and the bad things and I've learned to love it. Um, and I've found, you know, some of my most peaceful and joyful moments in life at this point are, are out there being able to just do what feels natural, do what feels. It's almost, it's almost simple to an extent because I've put in the time and the effort because I've had the teaching and the training that I have from my dad. And it just, it's just, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like, I just love it now. I just massively love it. Well, that's, Uh Oh, there we go. Okay. I, I can still hear you. Yeah, no, that's, did we freeze up? I, I think we're, I think we're good. Hello. You're breaking up on my end. There we go. Okay. I, I can hear you better now and I can see you moving around. You good? All right. All right. I, I think I got you back now. Are we back, Damon? Yep. I think we're back now. Okay. I'll um, just let the assistant know there's a little bit of editing to do about halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> just just a little bit right in the middle, huh? <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, the Taekwondo studio right next door is uh, starting their, uh, their sparring. So I'm trying to get as much of a as much of a uh, sound buffer as I can here. Well, I can't hear it coming through your mic if that's any any consolation. Okay, well that's uh, that's good to hear. <laughs> All right, let's see where were we talking about the challenges? Why you decided to jump back into it? Um. Okay, so that's 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 awesome. So I know a lot of people don't really have a skill set that that's that is that fine-tuned so it's it's awesome that you do have that and um, let's go and switch gears a little bit here now let's say you know let's speak to the people who don't have the the phd in commercial fishing um, let's go ahead and go through and kind of describe what it would look like for someone who's trying to, to just jump into it at the moment so um, first off can you kind of give kind of a, a big overview of what the 
of what the uh, the stages of the seasons look like if you're a commercial fisherman? Well, that's a yeah, that's an exciting thought. Um, really, so it's it's going to be a number of different things. It's going to come down to what season you're fishing, right? You have everything from Bristol Bay, which can be three to five weeks, to Kodiak staining, which can be uh, four months. Um, you know, as far as like getting started, if somebody wanted to get started, and I've had this conversation a number of times, um, where you know, for starters, it's it's really about it's one of those situations. It's not what you know; it's who you know, right? Um, there's a couple ways to go about it. One is is know somebody that's in the industry that's going to give you a recommendation or get you started themselves, right? The other way, and there's a lot of guys who do this, is they literally just go pound the docks, right? They want to go fish Kodiak, so they show up towards the beginning of the Kodiak season. They go down to the docks, and they literally just go. It's door knocking, right? It's the door knocking we do in in, in real estate. Um, <laughs> they literally just walk the docks and they will talk to anybody who's out there, right? Whatever boat's there. If there's a guy sitting on the deck, if it looks like a commercial fishing boat, they walk over, introduce themselves and try and get involved. Um, you know, you're looking at, you know, depending on who you're starting with, you're looking at a cruise share, probably around four to 5%. If you have no experience, if you're completely green, um, you know, be prepared to be kind of, well, you're the bottom of the total pool, man. So you get to do a lot of dishwashing and, you can do a lot of, you know, deck scrubbing and you're going to, you know, you're going to, we always joke on, you know, with the crab fishermen, right? You get to be the master baiter, right? Mm. And I don't mean that in the wrong sense, but, you know, you're the guy who's baits all the, you deal with all the stinky bait, right? You get to fill the bait cans for the crab pots or the, you know, or you get to bait hooks um you're you know, the master of bait <laughs> yes why <laughs> right 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 which we then turn into right you're the i'll use two words to say it but you're the master baiter yeah yeah right? got it there you go. <laughs> sorry if that was inappropriate for your, you know, for your, your podcast we works for me tell your assistant to uh to edit that part out too but uh no you know you, you plan on what I try and tell crew is this, um, understand that you're going to be stepping into a world that you do not know. If you're green, understand that, it, that you're going to be experiencing a world. It's like going to a third world country and in some ways almost worse, right? You're going into a world that you don't know. So come in with a, with a learning mind, come in with humility and, you know, I'll be happy, happy, thrilled to teach you everything I can about it. You know, so come in with an open mind and be ready to learn and, you know, be ready to work. I oftentimes tell, tell crewmen, I say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to redefine a few things for you in your world. I'm going to redefine what hard work is. Okay. I'm going to, I'm also going to redefine what tired is, right? We're going to show you what tired is. <laughs> you know, if you thought you were tired because you only got five hours of sleep, that's adorable. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've, I've had crewmen before where I've been like, I need you to come up here and read me a book because I'm falling asleep standing up. I have fallen asleep before as the skipper, we were looking for a place to drop anchor. We were going on 50 some hours of no sleep. Um, we'd been doing this for weeks and finally I was looking for that right spot to drop the anchor. And finally I was like, I realized I had just fallen asleep standing up and, and I was standing. So I didn't fall asleep. 
right? <laughs> Finally, I was like, all right, just just put the anchor overboard. Where we are is where we are. We're good. We're not going to kill anybody. And then good night. You know, like I got to go to sleep. Um, so we, you know, I I tell people to just come in and expect to, you know, expect you're not going to be the rock star. You're not going to be the hot shot. You're going to be learning a brand new world, and you know, it's going to be an adventure. Come prepared. Yeah, and really, in a lot of ways, it sounds very similar to, I guess, boot camp or, or any other, I guess, high intensity industry that you jump into where, um, it's going to be in completely disorienting and you're just going to have to have a lot of humility to, um, to be willing to, to be the one at the bottom of the totem pole and start working your way up as you start, um, start learning more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, you said it really well. Yeah. Be, just be, be prepared, be ready to, ready to jump in and, and get to it and know that, yeah, it's going to be an experience. You're going to grow you're going to, you're going to be changed. You're not going to walk away from that being the same. Change for the better. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had both. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, yeah. I know this one might be kind of a tough question to, to answer here, but what does a, a normal day or days look like? when you're on a boat out there fishing. Okay. Um, so I'll answer it, I'll answer it from, a, from, you know, what I'm really, you know, the main that I'm really used to, right. You got Kodiak salmon. Um, generally the, the day starts somewhere, whatever, you know, it starts probably about a half an hour to 45 minutes before the sun comes up. Right. So in the middle of summer, yeah. Earlier on in the, you know, early on in the summer, you're up at oftentimes two, three o'clock in the morning. If you got to run, you got to run to get to where your first set's going to be. You're looking at two, three o'clock in the morning. Otherwise you're probably four o'clock in the morning. You're getting up. Um, you know, the skiff man goes out, starts his power skiff. Everybody's getting some food. Everybody's starting to get their gear on. You're making sure your socks got dry, your boots got dry, your gloves got dry, that kind of thing. Um, and then you're going to be making sets. It's 30 minutes sitting on it, 30 minutes hauling it back or 15 minutes hauling it back. Um, sometimes, you know, depending on how many boats are there, you'll put in 15 to 25 sets in a day and you're going to fish until the sun goes down. So whatever time that is right <laughs> midnight, um, and then you're going to run to your tender, which could be, you know, anywhere from 15 minutes to two hours. And then you're going to get to the tender and you're going to deliver your fish and you got to stand there as it comes, you know, it comes out of your refrigerated water, which is 32 degrees. Okay. And so you got a bunch um, can of cold you, fish. Can you actually explain for people real quick what a tender is? So a tender, you know, a tender is the middleman between the catching boats, the fishing boats, and the uh, and the canneries, right? So you got the canneries based on land. That's where they process all the fish, and it's really inefficient for the commercial, you know, the fishermen to load their boats full of fish and then run all the way into town because that could be several hours, or you know, in Kodiak, it can be a day you know, 18 hours for them to run around the island, go deliver their fish and come back, right? Or 18 hours one way. So, you know, day and a half of fishing. So the canneries hire large boats, oftentimes boats that, that you know, we see on Deadliest Catch, the big crabbers that pack anywhere from 150 to two, you know, 450,000 pounds. And um, they are the, they're the middlemen, right? We deliver our fish to them. They deliver the fish to the cannery. 
Um, and you know, your average day fishing in, in Kodiak is, you know, you can easily be up at two, three o'clock in the morning and, and not go to bed till, you know, midnight regularly, you know, Bristol Bay uh, is a little different because we run in, we have much shorter openers. So what we generally find out is in Bristol Bay, is we end up by the middle of the season, we'll, on, we'll be on eight hour openers. So eight hours on where you're out fishing um, and then three to four hours closed where you have your time to go deliver your fish and then eight hours on again. And they just go around the clock that way. It's just eight hours on three hours or eight hours on four hours off, eight hours on four hours off. And you have to understand it in that four hours off, you've got your, you know, you oftentimes spend half an hour to 45 minutes or half an hour to an hour running to the tender. Um, you get to the tender, you wait in line. It could be anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. Right. And then as a skipper, I want to be up and running around anywhere from two hours to, you know, hour to two hours before the next opener looking for the fish. Right. So you can see if, uh, you know, if you got an hour run back and you got an hour to deliver and then you want to be fishing two hours before looking around an hour to two hours beforehand, there's not a lot of room to sleep in there. No, not at all. Like what's, <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's a lot to be packing in there. That, that honestly does sound like something from, from boot camp or officer candidate yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, yeah, it's that, it's that kind of real. Um, you know, I've had, I've had fisheries before. I had one crewman who he just, I, he has yet to have come back fishing. Um, and the reason being is we were doing, we were running for about two weeks. We were running somewhere in the range of like 48 to 54 hours at a time without sleeping. And then we'd sleep for two hours, two or three hours. And then we'd run another 48 to 50 some hours. Does that mess with your, your sleep cycle and like your, I guess, sleep patterns once you're, uh, I don't know, back in the civilian world with, with normal people? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I can, uh, it, it honestly, um, it generally, depending on the season, it generally takes me about a month to get my head right when I get back from fishing. Um, you know, the six month seasons, I mean, it, when you're, when you you know, go out and you fish for, for four to six months at a time. Yeah. It really screws with you. It takes a long time to recover just that sense of normalcy. Um, it really does. Yeah. Man, that's, that's wild. Okay. So let's, let's go and ask this. Cause I know this is something everyone's going to want to know. Um, is everybody getting rich out there with, with fishing? <laughs> I know this is a, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of tough to say, but you get all these TV shows and all, you know, everything out there saying, oh, these guys make, you know, they make this or they make that. Um, I guess it, it's really hard to say because, as you kind of mentioned before, it's based more on the percentage of the catch more so than some hourly wage. And that's going to be situational, but I guess what's... Um, what's kind of a range on, on what people could expect if they're just getting started? Um, if I had somebody new come out out to Bristol Bay to fish with me, I'm going to tell them expect somewhere between four and $10,000 for the, for the six weeks, you know, as, as a new crewman. 
Right. And once you, once you start getting a little bit more salty and start getting some more experience under your belt, that, that does go up though. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it definitely does. I mean, there's so many variables price. What are you getting paid for the fish? Right. How much are you catching? What fish, what fish are you catching? Right. Um, you know, it's, well, to put it in perspective, um, I guess just to throw some numbers out there, uh, I was, I've, the last two years I've been running about for a guy. So I get paid a skipper's share. Um, and so in 2019, I made $60,000 on 240,000 pounds a season. And in 2020 or 2020 this year, I made about $39,000 on 330,000 pounds. And Whoa, that was, that is, that's so drastic. <laughs> it, it's so, so dramatically variable, right? I mean, to put that in perspective, 2019 was, um, it was 18 days of fishing and 2020 was, uh, five weeks of fishing. Right. So, I mean, it, it is, it is a massively variable thing. Um, and that's where, that's where it, it's, it's got its own sense of gambling to it really, you know, and that's where it really gets awesome camaraderie wise, where you got your crew and you say, look guys, it's literally on you. How hard do you want to hustle? Right. You, you work hard, you get it done, you crank and you, you drive hard and you got crew that are encouraging the skipper to keep on fishing. Boy, howdy, you can make a big season and everybody can make a lot of money, you know, but you miss the fish. Skipper's not on his game. Crew's not getting the gear out of the water. Man, that's actually a, another really good, I guess, quality or characteristic you can get out of it too. Because, I mean, just choosing who you're going to be associating with and you know, I guess which team you're going to be pulling you know, right alongside with, that's, that's a huge, I guess, going to be a huge gauge on how successful you're going to be if you... Um, went out there and there are a bunch of duds, you're, uh, you're not going to be able to go out there as a stud and expect to get anything. <laughs> yep. No, that's, that's the, that is the, I mean, that's the truth. I've had dud crews. I've had really good crews and it makes, I mean, it makes a world of difference. Um, psychologically as a skipper, if you've got a crew, that's really a dud, um, it weighs on you a lot. You spend a lot of your mental energy, trying to figure out how to encourage them, how to get them from dud to, you know, from, from dud to hero. Um, and, and that really takes away from your ability to catch. Um, but yeah, it's, there, there's a lot of psychology in, in the game in the game of commercial fishing. <laughs> I can imagine. So I guess kind of going into that then, what is, I guess the overall culture like in the commercial fishing industry i've heard it's obviously got to be a pretty hard working group of people um it sounds very entrepreneurial it sounds very um, you have to be willing to kind of take the initiative and work together very closely in a team um, but can you kind of describe what the, the culture is like in the, the commercial fishing industry is it um, obviously you're going to get bad apples in, in any industry but is it more or less kind of a kind of a cutthroat world? Are they, you know, willing to, to help um, other ships and crews out? I mean, there's, there's kind of an element to it where you're their competitors. 
at, at some level, but I was just kind of curious how that, you know, how that plays out when you're actually out there at sea. So, uh, to answer your question, um, yes, no, sorry, that's not fair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, in a lot of ways, it's a zero sum game. Um, if you're, if I'm catching the fish, the guy behind me is not right. Um, so that makes a very, very competitive, uh, fishery. Um, it really, it's really variable amongst the fisheries. Um, I mean, the competitiveness doesn't go away. Everybody's still massively, massively competitive. And I think it takes that competitiveness to really do well in it. Um, and, and, you know, to put in perspective in Bristol Bay, my dad always joked and said, you know, Bristol Bay is just hard on your soul. And it is right. Because you're either, when you got 400 boats in a five square mile space, or three square mile space it and they've all got 1200 feet or 900 feet of gear you're either screwing somebody or you're being screwed it's one of the two right like there's really no like oh la di da i'm over here by myself and not fishing with anybody right i mean everybody's on top of everybody <laughs> we're all winners <laughs> right <laughs> right um you know so well you well you have that bit of cutthroat or you have a lot of cutthroat in some areas um, if you ever have a problem, I don't know of a boat out there that wouldn't turn like drop their gear, cut their gear loose right now and come help you. Um, you know, like I talked about earlier, the ocean is unforgiving. Um, weather doesn't care what size of boat you are, right? The waves don't care. Um, you know, I have, I have duped it out and fought it out hard with guys on the North line of, of Igigik up in the shallows. And then we have, I mean, we've duped it out and then one of them gets stuck and I find myself in there throwing him a, throwing him a line to pull him off the beach before they go dry at high tide, you know? And it's that mindset of, you know, when I'm in that position, I'm going to need somebody there. So I don't think, well, everybody's competitive. Right. Well, well, you're, everybody's using their own scrambled encrypted radios, so nobody else can hear them. Right. And they're strict, you know, strategizing on how they're going to catch the fish and the other guys aren't. Um, if somebody's in trouble, if somebody needs a hand, um, you know, somebody's broke down, we're going to help out. So kind of hearing you talking about that, it really sounds like, I mean, there's, you know, no worse friends or no better friends, no worse enemies than a commercial fisherman. It's, it's competitive within the rules, but it's kind of like, um, kind of like football where, you know, you're going to do everything you possibly can to win, but you don't want to see anyone going off the field and in a stretcher. Is that, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a few boats I wouldn't mind going off the field in the stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I guess, you know, <laughs> uh, there's a few, everybody's got those couple of boats that you're just like, you know, you, you honestly have to ask yourself, okay, would I help that guy in the end? Yeah. You're going to go out. You're going to help that guy. If, you know, if, if that's what it is, right. If they're, if they're in a position, um, because you know, you're going to need, you, you, everybody knows you're going to need help at some point, right. It's when you're fishing, it's not really a matter of if it's a matter of when, right. You're going to have, 
you're going to have something go wrong. You're going to need somebody to help you in that, in that case. And, and uh, you want to make sure that you're there to help somebody else when you can. Got it. No, that, that makes total sense then. So, you know, we've kind of talked a lot about some of the, some of the challenges of the industry. People are, are still jumping into it all the time though. Um, what yep. are some questions you believe people should ask themselves as they're decide um, when they're deciding if, if this is something that they should, should pursue? Ooh. Um, so I think, I think the first, you know, first and foremost, um, and that is, is this the right thing for my family and where I am? Right. And, and it may be a situation where you don't have family as in, you know, wife and kids or, or husband and kids. Um, you know, that's fishing. Fishing has so many great opportunities. It's such an awesome vehicle to be able to put yourself, or as my dad always said, get yourself out of the rat race because it's for the most part it, you know, while there's variation in price and fish showing up, if you put the time in, you put the work in, you're going to make the money. Um, so one thing that hasn't survived, one thing, many, many marriages have not survived commercial fishing. Um, and it's, you know, it takes a very special, you know, in, in my case, I look at my mom or I look at my wife and it, it takes an extraordinarily special woman to survive, to make it through that because, you know, their, their loved one is gone, right? The second part of their support, you know, the half of their support and parenting is gone. Um, and when we're out there, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of time I can't, you know, I can't sit there on a cell phone and talk all day. I got to focus and I got to be communicating with my crew and communicating on my radios with the other guys I'm fishing with. So, um, probably the biggest thing to start with is, is this going to fit in my world, right? As far as my family, who I'm, who I'm responsible to responsible for, right? Um, that's a big part of it. Um, other questions they should ask themselves. Am I up for an adventure? Right? Am I am I willing to am I willing to go out there for the adventure of it and realize that I may not make as much money as I dream I could make? Right? I think that's a good question to ask yourself because you know, more often than not, my crew has made good money. And I've had some of those years where they didn't. I mean, we did I didn't make any money either. Right. My crew makes money before, before the boat does, before the skipper does, before the owner does. Um, but you know, there's that risk. So are you up for the adventure? And, um, and then it's going to be, am I willing, you know, am, do I have the mindset to learn? Right. Do I have the humility to understand I'm going into something that I've never experienced before? Cause no matter what you do in your, in life, I mean, you can, you could have gone to boot camp, you could have gone through, you know, through buds, or, or, you know, SEAL training or, you know, you've, you've gone through those things and yet you're still going to go into a world you don't know. It's still going to have challenges you haven't experienced and, and test you in ways you may not be prepared for. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's very easy to, to look at one string of successes you've had and just say, you know, that's, that's going to be the same process or that's going to be the same challenges I'm going to see in in every um, challenge, challenging situation going forward. And therefore I can take on anything. It's going to require the same, you know, the same kind of commitment and the same things you need to do to overcome everything. So I, I can definitely see what you're saying then. 
Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, having that attitude of, of, uh, I can do anything right? having that attitude of, I can tackle any challenge. I think that's really, really good. And I'm looking for that in crew. Absolutely. Um, and also having the understanding or the humility to say, you know, well, I can't, well, I know I can tackle anything. I don't know what this one is yet. Right. I think that's, you know, that's the big thing. I had crew come on and they were brand new and they were trying to tell me how to fish. And, uh, Oh no. <laughs> interesting. That's interesting. You know, they're all pissed off and angry. And I, I had to have that conversation with the crewman one time, just really straightforward, you know, you just did shut your mouth and then listen (laughs) (laughs) just i mean part of it's like yeah i mean big part of it is just like situational awareness be aware you're at the bottom of the totem pole and just be willing to shut up for a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah but you know it's a it's a constant learning process both both for me as a skipper i mean i've i've run boats now for 10 years and and good lord i'm still learning like i feel like i've just barely scratched the surface of of what it is to be a skipper and be an effective skipper yeah yeah and i mean it's you can't um i feel like that industry is probably one of those industries where if you want to continue getting better it's going to keep you pretty humble (laughs) yeah i mean my dad been fishing for 66 years and the conversation we just had this last week was you know son um i think i'd like to fish another season because i can look at three or four things that i did in this last season that i that i missed the mark and i i want to go back and do it better you know that's that's a man who's done this for 66 years yeah that's that's incredible yeah because that's so i mean hardly anyone does anything for that long <laughs> right yeah yeah no no kidding no kidding wow yep. all right so for i guess on the other end of the spectrum then if you have someone that's just green and trying to trying to jump into the industry you know we've kind of mentioned before some people will go walk the docks some people will just kind of know people are there any other methods for them to to try to jump into the industry um, I mean, not really, uh, the commercial fishing world is pretty, pretty tight knit. Um, you know, I guess you, you, you could probably look around on Craigslist and some guy might be putting out a Craigslist ad, you know, looking for somebody looking for a commercial fishing crewman. Right. Um, that I imagine you could probably find one or two of those. Um, you know, but generally those guys who are having to go to Craigslist to find a crewman are not necessarily the guys you want to go fish for, right? They're, they're the guys who tend to, uh, tend to chew them up and spit them out per se. Right. And that's something you got to be careful for, careful of as a crewman is, is what boat you get on. Cause there's guys, you know, just like there's bad crewmen, there's bad skippers. There's, there's guys who've gone out and fished a whole season and then they don't get a paycheck at the end. You know, right. And I, I think that's really important to, to point out. So you're not just trying to get on to, to any old boat. You need to get on yep. one with a good skipper. <laughs> yep. And that's, that's where it really comes down to that. Knowing, knowing somebody involved. And if you don't know somebody involved, start asking questions, 
inevitably, if you know somebody in Alaska, you probably they will probably know somebody involved, or they'll know somebody who knows somebody involved, right? So if you're looking at getting into this, start asking questions. Hey, who do you know who commercial fishes? Right? Can I get their phone number from you? How do we, you know? Right. No, that's 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 a really good point. Then, so what are I guess some of the pitfall or other pitfalls people should avoid if they're they're trying to get into the fishing industry? Because you mentioned they need to um, be aware that not all skippers are created equal, and you need to you need to kind of do your own due diligence on people before you just jump onto any old boat. But um, are there other any other big pitfalls you need to be aware of if you're jumping into it just completely green? Not asking enough questions, right? Not asking enough questions as far as what kind of fishery, what are you signing up for? How long are you signing up for? Right. Um, not one of the things is, you know, not paying enough attention to what you're getting paid and what that looks like. Right. Your percentages of what, Right. What's your percentage? What are you getting paid a percentage of? Um, what expenses come out of the top? Right. Is it permits? Is it gear? Is it fuel? Is it food? You know, there's every skipper, not every skipper, but just about every skipper has their own breakdown on how they pay, you know, how they pay crew. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're going to get on a boat, you want to know, you know, what, what's expected of you. You want to ask a lot of questions, right? I mean, down to, what kind of clothes should I bring? That's a big thing. It's, it's a, it's an issue when you have a crewman show up on a boat and they haven't brought the right clothes because they're there for five, six weeks. Right. And when you don't get a lot of sleep, having dry clothes and the right clothes and staying warm, that's critical. It's a big part. Yeah, I know. That's huge. If you show up in, um, you know, Hawaiian, swimsuit you're uh, you're in for a rough couple of weeks <laughs> right exactly i mean i i've actually got to the point with crew where i'm like look i want you to bring a whole bunch of socks a whole bunch of underwear i want you to bring like sweats or like workout pants right i want you to bring long johns i want you to bring hoodies and uh we're gonna buy your gear when you get here right we're gonna buy your rain gear i'm i'm picking your rain gear until you're experienced enough to know what stuff you should and shouldn't get, I'm getting it. And I can tell you, you know, we've had crewmen nearly go overboard because they had bad boots. I had a crewman one time was super proud of his, uh, his new fancy jacket that he got. He got lifted 25 feet off the deck into the rigging by the drawstring on his hood Whoa. for his raincoat. Right. I mean, just, and it was just like that. I mean, he nearly got sucked through a hydraulic winch hydraulic block you know because he got this fancy the newest fancy fangled jacket and didn't yeah you know, it's the little things you know and it seems goofy to be like well why would you tell me what rain gear i'm gonna buy well i'm gonna tell you what rain gear you're gonna buy so that you have the gear that's going to keep you warm and keep you dry as possible throughout that season to protect your attitude and your you know and your your ability to perform man and that's that's uh that's huge. I think most of us kind of get lulled into a, I'm not gonna say false sense of security, but maybe that's that's the best word where there's a huge margin for error. But when you're in commercial fishing, it just sounds like that that margin is pretty darn small. 
It is. I mean, you know, the gear you're wearing, the, the gear you use and the gear you wear is kind of like, kind of like your tools, right? If you go look, um, you know, you go look at a painter or a contractor or anybody who does a trade with tools, right? Um, you're going to see similarities between those that are good and they're going to have similar tools, right? They may not all be the same brand, but they're going to have similar tools and that's because that's what works and that's what functions well. So, um, you know, that whole understanding of you're in a different world, um, the tools are totally different and there's a lot to learn. Um, you know, ask as many questions. That's probably the biggest thing is a lot of people don't ask enough questions to get an actual idea of what it is that they're getting into. Got it. Okay. So I think we've kind of answered this one already, but I'll, um, or you know what, let me just re-ask this in a different way. So sure. if you're looking for a way not to make a good impression with a skipper, what's the best way to, to make an awful impression with a good skipper? <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, let's see. How would I answer that? I'd probably say something along the lines of don't. For, I, I guess I have to answer this from my perspective. Um, don't come in and tell me all the things that you've done in your life that, that you think are close to what it is that we do. Right. Um, for me, I ask, you know, I ask a lot of questions around, around my crewmen. Um, kind of the main things that I ask them is, um, you know, I ask them about their family. I ask them if they have a girlfriend, if they're a young man, I ask them if they have a girlfriend. That's a big thing to know, right? A girlfriend gets, uh, really lonely and the phone calls and the letters that they get after four weeks can really break them down. Right. Um, I ask them, you know, what do they, how do they define hard work? I ask them, how do they define leadership? I ask them, what do they expect out of, out of a leader? Um, I ask them to tell me what they think they're getting into, right? Um, so for somebody to come, and this is tough, it's a very good question. It's actually pretty tough to answer. What would it be? Um, yeah, if I have somebody coming to me and they just start bragging about, Oh, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And I know, you know, based on these things I can do, which, you know, I'm going to come out and do what you do. Right. Um, like we've talked about, it's a different, it's just a, such a different world that there's not much that's really going to compare to it. Right. Um, there's not a lot of other experiences in this world where you're going to go for, you know, weeks or months on end stuck inside of a 32 by 16 foot space with three to four other guys and you're going to be subjected to sleep deprivation and sometimes food deprivation and the extremes of weather right and you got to keep a good attitude the whole way through does that make sense yeah it it sure does so <laughs> we might want to edit some of that out i don't know if i rambled too much on that one but. <laughs> you're fine you're fine um, I guess, do you have any, any final thoughts you have, you, uh, you might want to share with, uh, everybody out here in podcast world? Um, it's, a yeah, this is, you have the opportunity, I think for, you know, especially, especially for young men, um, it is a spectacular opportunity to learn what you're made of. 
it's a spectacular opportunity for you to learn what hard work is, um, to learn about working around others, to to learn you know to learn about humility, and it's a spectacular opportunity to set yourself up financially to to really do a lot of big things in this world. Um, there's not many kids that I knew when I was 16 or 15 years old that were making $25,000, $30,000 in the summer, right? Um, there's not a lot. I've, I've watched commercial fishing put a lot of young, a lot of young people, men and women for that matter, through college without debt, you know? And not only that, but they became a bigger, stronger, more rounded, more um, humble version of themselves. And, you know, fishing can be scary. It's hard. It's exhausting, but it, it offers growth benefits that are hard to find in a lot of other places in this world today. That's very well said. All right. Well, this, this has been a great episode. I mean, I, I really love hearing about how this industry is, is just one that, I mean, the margin for error is, is pretty low and a lot of it is really going to come down to kind of your, your strengths and more often than not your, your weaknesses and really kind of the attitude that you bring to the job and your ability to, to pull together against the elements and everything else that's, that's being thrown at you and kind of this, this competitive space. So I, yeah. I do really appreciate your, um, your insight on this. Um, and, uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and, and close today. Um, this is been the uh, Alaska journey podcast. If you'd like to check out the YouTube channel at Alaska realtor, definitely feel free to go check that out. And, uh, we have information about, stuff you'll need to know if you're moving here to Alaska and Joe, what's a, what's a good way for people to, to contact you if they're looking at moving up here to Alaska themselves? Oh, uh, there's, there's a number of different ways. Um, you can call me directly. I don't mind that at all. In fact, I really enjoy, you know, call or text me at 907-521-6562 or, uh, you can find my email, Joseph at, rmgrealestate.com. Outstanding. Well, again, I do appreciate it, sir. And everybody else out there, we're signing off. See you guys next time. God bless. God bless.